Well, I've moved today to the 13th chapter for the particular reason that some of you are well aware of that I, I told the parish in a video last week, and that is that the vestry are asking, and I am reinforcing that ask, that between now and December 5th, all of us, God willing, all of us who consider this as our home, our parish, our, the body of Christ to which we belong, the place where our faith is expressed and nurtured, that all of us will pledge for the new year. And in order to speak about that a little bit indirectly, but I hope not too indirectly, I've chosen these four short parables of our Lord uh, to speak to today, even though my overwhelming request is, please make a pledge by December 5th. <laughs> okay? Uh, say your prayers and, and make a pledge. Now, the, the, the parables are actually two little couplets, if I could put it that way, two little parables that are grouped together in the 13th chapter of Matthew's Gospel. And the first two parables are really about what happens when faith comes. What happens when the kingdom of God breaks in upon a person? What, what happens when the kingdom of heaven becomes real to them? Uh, we're used to saying, because the scriptures speak of it this way, when faith comes, when, when we've heard the gospel and faith has come. That's what these two little parables, first two parables are about. Faith comes when we hear the good news. Faith comes by hearing the word of Christ. Until we hear, until we hear and understand. That's a key element because we can hear, as you know, I've said to you many times about my own life. We can hear for many, many years sometimes. Some people can hear for a lifetime and never understand. But the hearing that Jesus is describing is a hearing with understanding. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. When we hear the gospel with understanding, faith comes. Faith comes. And, and though the, the pattern of our, of our corporate life, the pattern of our, our tribe in the church of Jesus Christ, the pattern of our lives is that we rehearse that gospel every week. Anyone whose ears are open to hear and understand is hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ every single Sunday here. The, the liturgy proclaims the gospel that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. God has sent his very own son to us. And though he was put to death on account of our sins, he was raised by God to new life that he might give new life to all who hear of what God has done, that God has acted to save us, that without him, we will be lost. Without him, things will degenerate into chaos, but with him, all things can be restored and put right. Christ has come. Christ has died. Christ is risen. And when a man or a woman hears that gospel and understands it, yielding to it by faith, we die with him. The cross becomes the place where we die that he might raise us to newness of life. 
So when faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of God, things change. And that's what these two parables are about. The mustard seed, when planted, looks insignificant. And frequently, beloved, when faith begins to dawn in the human heart, it can look very insignificant. It can seem very small. But what Jesus is saying in the parable is if faith has come, it will grow and it will grow and it will grow. It will not stay hidden. It is unstoppable. When true faith comes, it will be unstoppable in you. Now that doesn't mean you won't make mistakes, you won't have error, you won't have seasons when you forget or you run afoul or you are deceived, but when true faith has come, it will grow and grow and grow. It cannot be stopped. That's the mark of true faith. If any of us look back on our lives for very far and do not see that happening, then we need to turn to the Lord. That's a sign that we have turned to the Lord, that we are being changed. That little mustard seed. My mother used to wear um, a necklace that had in some sort of a little crystal, I, I can see it in my mind's eye, I'm not sure how to describe it, and it had a little mustard seed in it. And, and it, was a, it was a necklace she wore a, a great deal of time. And it was a symbol to her, and it became a symbol to me as a child, even before I understood it. She would explain to me that faith is like a mustard seed. It's not stoppable. And the leaven in the, in the lump is the same. When you put leaven in the flour, it's going to leaven the loaf. The lump, as the old King James used to say. Once leaven is kneaded into that lump, that leaven is going to change that lump. It can't be stopped. When true faith comes, that's what's happening. Something has begun in us that is going to leaven the whole lump of our life. The way we think, the way we act, the way we relate to other people, the way we the way we do all things. Christ is going to become all in all to us if true faith has come. I remember when having Josep, Bishop Josep with us, even though he's a Spaniard, um, he lives in England. And so there have been a lot of stories, both to laugh and to, 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 to be um, very praiseworthy about life in England. But I remember a story told me, very young in the ministry, of a Scottish pastor walking down one street, side of the street, going to his church on Sunday morning, and the, and the Anglican pastor walking down the opposite way, going to his pulpit that Sunday. And the little wee Scotsman called out to the Anglican, what was he going to preach about that day? And the Anglican responded, the gentle, quiet work of the leaven in the lump. And the Scots preacher is said to have said, My God, man, have you not seen leaven under the microscope? Because if you've ever seen leaven under a microscope, it's exploding. It's not subtle of what's happening, but it's going to change the whole lump. And faith is like that. The coming of the kingdom of God changes a man. And he knows it. 
It cannot be hidden any more than you can keep a little lump of flour little once the leaven is in it. So that's what those first two are about. The second two are about desiring the kingdom. If we could say the first two are about the coming of the kingdom to a man or a woman, the coming of faith. The second, the third and fourth parable today, just single verses, are about what happens when that's come. There becomes a desire for the things of God, a desire for the kingdom. The scriptures teach us that if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. We have nothing that we want more than to be found in him. The desire of our hearts is to be found in him, whether we live or die. No matter what he gives to us, no matter where we are on our journey, if true faith has come, the desire of our heart is becoming more and more a desire for the kingdom. And so listen to the parable again, the two parables. Treasure found in a field. If you find treasure in a field, no one has to tell you what to do. Your heart knows what to do. Sell everything and buy the field. Right? Do you remember any of you when you were little kids becoming aware of the idea of hidden treasure and playing, you know, maybe imagining you saw a Peter Pan or something, I don't know, you, 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 you might have made a little box and put some funny things in it and dug a hole somewhere and they had little games of finding the treasure. I do. But you know what I experience? I see people looking for treasure all the time. Fools that buy lottery tickets. I hope I haven't hurt any feelings. Um, developers looking for property, entrepreneurs looking for that breakthrough treasure idea. Human beings don't have to be told what to do if they find a treasure or think they have found it. They want to do it. The man who finds the treasure in his field does not have to be told to sell everything else to buy that field. He wants to buy that field, right? So the parable is showing something. When the kingdom of heaven breaks in, you want something that makes you willing to put everything else aside. And so it is with the pearl. The pearl. The merchant was in the business of buying and selling pearls. Years ago, my father had a, a close friend who, like my father, was very interested in um, the, the, the artifacts of old, the, the, thing, the treasures, if you will, that had survived from an earlier time. Old furniture, old weapons, old things. And this particular friend of my father, through the years, though a barber making a living cutting hair, had become one of the experts in the United States on 18th century furniture, and weapons. And over a lifetime of buying and selling, he had reduced his collection to about 10 items. And they were exquisite. It was a great joy to be invited to go to Johnny Anspaugh's house and see the very few things that he had collected over his lifetime. That's what Jesus is saying. This merchant was in that business. 
getting a little bit better every time and looking for a little improvement with every transaction. And then he saw a pearl unlike any pearl he'd ever seen. And he sold everything. Nobody had to make him do that. When the kingdom of God comes, we don't have to be made to do anything because something has changed inside of us. And we move from knowing what we ought to do to doing what we want to do. It changes us from an ought-to faith to a want-to faith. I know I've shared this in previous years, but it's one of the most important moments of my journey as a Christian steward, beginning to understand that everything I had, I had in trust from God. My, my health, my abilities, my, my everything, whatever I had, I had in trust. The Lord was entrusting it to me. I was a steward of it. And I began to learn that deeply in my own self around the issue of financial stewardship. And, and I shall always remember hearing the phrase, we don't do what we ought to do, we do what we want to do. And the first time I heard that phrase, it was as there was a teaching about tithing, a teaching about returning a tenth of what the Lord has entrusted to us to the Lord. That, that the word of God had given guidance to Israel and through Israel to the church that all things come of the Lord and it's of, of, his, of the Lord's own that we return. It's not ours, it's his. And that the tithe was given to ancient Israel and to the church, the new Israel, because it was a significant enough percentage that no one could not be aware that they had done it. You, you miss a tenth. If last week you lived on $100 and this week you live on $90, you know it. That's why many of us could have told the government about inflation a long time ago. Whoever those experts are, I don't know where they, where they studied. I buy gas every week, don't you? Yeah, I, I go to the grocery. Yeah, all right, I got off track. The, the point is that I remember when I first heard that, how I objected in my spirit. Well, you don't know, you don't know what I've got to deal with. You, you, you don't know, blah, 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 blah. But relentlessly, over the course of a three-day seminar, that phrase was repeated. We don't do what we ought to do. We do what we want to do. And that brings us to financial stewardship. The scriptures make it absolutely plain that we are to return to the Lord and to the work of the Lord, to the ministry and mission of his church, a portion of what he has entrusted to us. And that's the principle. The principle is this. I don't give an amount. I give a proportion. That's the principle. That's universal. I would argue that's universal. A Christian should return a proportion of what the Lord has entrusted to them for the work of the kingdom. But 
the scriptures have given us, and the Lord through the scriptures have given us, the tithe as a standard, not a law. It's not a law. But I've thought and experienced through my whole lifetime that it is significant enough that it changes a man. To have the faith to believe that I can live on 90% of what the Lord has entrusted to me is a step into the kingdom. That's what I believe. Because it does require me to trust God. That as Jesus says elsewhere, he knows my needs. He, he knows who I am. He knows my family. He knows my circumstances. And the beauty, I think, I would even say that, the beauty of learning to be a tither is it puts all of us on the same footing. I'm on the same footing if I make $100 or $1,000 or $10,000 or $100,000. But the principle is proportion. So I would encourage you, please, will you pray? Will you pray and ask God where you should be or where he's calling you to be or what step he's asking of you for this season. When I came, the vestry told me this wasn't a pledging parish. I don't know why they said that. That's what they said. So I said, well, I've never led a, a, a non-pledging parish, so I'm going to preach about pledging. And last year, I think we had more um, of the congregation make a pledge than in any year that anyone could remember, Brenda will have to confirm if I'm telling the whole truth. I think I am. I'm getting a good head nod from our treasurer. And, um, but I would love to see all who are faithful, all who truly consider us um, the body of Christ that you belong to, the home parish, your home church. I would love to see all of us make a pledge. And it's not about an amount. It's about a principle. When the kingdom of God has come to us, we want to see it grow. When the kingdom of God has come to us, we want to see it spread. When the kingdom of God has come to us, we want to do our part. We want to work to see that happen. We want to pray to see that happen. We want to worship to see that happen. And we want to give to see that happen. And we're all in this together. So, by God's grace, let's have those cards back by the 5th of December. This Thanksgiving, as you and your family gather in whatever way you will celebrate Thanksgiving, please, please stop and pray for all the wondrous gifts that God has given you and us together. We have so much to be thankful for. And to him who gave it all, May all honor and praise and glory be for now and forevermore. Amen.